Welcome to Jesus Without Religion. I'm Mike Sinar, your host, and I'm glad you're joining us today as we discover Jesus through the filter of grace. If you are a Christian, you are about to see the love of Christ like you've never seen before. Never again will you fear God or feel that you are inadequate or not deeply loved by Him. We know some people call that a license to sin, but as we go through this series, you're actually going to find out that soaking in God's kindness and total forgiveness of all sin, yes, all sin, is the only prescription that will actually lead you away from the disease of sin. I want to welcome everybody back to Jesus Without Religion. Again, I'm super, super excited. Uh, we're in. We're beginning our studies in the book of Hebrews. And as I said, if you caught our uh, first chapter, our first study, I hope you did. Um, I love this letter. I love to teach from this letter because it is wildly misunderstood, wildly mistaught. And I think when people hear this study, I find they're like, wow, it's so clear. It's so obvious. How in the world was I receiving this letter in the past as a threat to me as a child of God? And hang with us. So let's go ahead and uh, again, I just want you to remember what we read last week. We talked about this was a that the writer is giving these Jewish people um, a logical reason to abandon the old covenant and grab on to the old. And he's using their own scriptures, their own prophets, their own past to make the case here. So before we start chapter two, let's recap a little bit of chapter one. What did we see in, in chapter one? But remember, we saw this comparison between Jesus and angels. Remember, angels ordained the law. And we read that also in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Some people think, no, this is God's law. It's God's law. It's, you know, God's the one who made this, etc. No, God really intentionally stayed away from bringing it in. Moses brought it in. It's called the Mosaic law. The, or, the angels ordained it. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. And we see that Jesus the only, the only covenant that Jesus brings in, the only thing he's connected to is the new covenant. And it's very important to get that. So, and again, what was the point? What were we learning in Hebrews chapter one? Well, again, the point is if Jesus is greater than the angels, then the new covenant, well, it simply must be greater than the old meaning stop elevating the old covenant up here because you're no longer under the old covenant. You're free from the old covenant. You've only got one covenant, and it's called the new one. It's Jesus Christ. So um, I want you to, just a quick reminder. Uh, this was such an important statement that we made in our first lesson. Again, if you haven't listened to our study on chapter one, Hebrews chapter one, Please get back and go listen to that one first so you don't fall behind in what we're teaching here. But I want something we mentioned in Hebrews chapter 1 that was so, so important. It's that if you read the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, you're not going to find one mention of outward sin. Anytime sin is mentioned in 10 consecutive chapters, 
100% of the time, it only addresses the sin of unbelief. It's addressing inward sin. It's denying Jesus Christ, okay? So it's very, 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 very important. Challenge me on this. Look for it. We're going to go through all these verse by verse. I challenge you to find one spot where there's outward sin mentioned. So let's just recap a little more from chapter 1 so we just we don't lose what we, what we learned last chapter, right? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, a couple of takeaways. It said, uh, so he became as much superior to the angels. Verse 6 said, let all God's angels worship him. Verse 9 said, your God has set you above your companions. Hebrews uh, 1.13, he said this, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, right? So now that we have some of this uh, background again from Hebrews chapter 1, we can go ahead and start rolling into Hebrews chapter 2. So chapter 2 reminds us of a couple things. If you didn't obey the law of Moses, you were dead, right? The law was completely unalterable. Every sin got a just penalty. So if the old covenant ordained by angels was so severe, think about how bad it will be if you reject, meaning the sin of unbelief, if you reject the new, if you reject Jesus. Again, what do we have? We have a very good reason for the Jewish people to abandon the old and grab on to the new. So let's dive in right now. So this is Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 1 through 3, he starts out and he says this, For this reason, we must pay closer attention. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. How will we escape If we neglect so great a salvation, after it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. The point is, how much more should you respect this covenant, this message? My gosh, if you gave so much respect to the old covenant, you really need to pay close attention to this one. The law kills Every human on the planet, no one will be found righteous through the laws, what the scriptures teach us, right? The new covenant saves us, apart from works, apart from human effort. And this is why it's so great a salvation. It is the greatest message on the planet because it excludes you. Remember the old covenant, the Jewish people said we will do everything written in the book of the law. And the old covenant was a deal between God and Jewish people. And if Jewish people didn't keep their end of the deal, you know what happened? The wages of sin is death. But under the new, get it, it's not a deal that we make between us and God. Remember under the new, because God could swear by no one greater God swore by himself. So it is God promising God because by two unchangeable things, God does not lie and God does not lie. You're secure because God is good, not because you perform well, but because Jesus performed well. So then in chapter two, we get through verses four and five. It says, God also testifying with them 
both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will, for he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking, but one has testified somewhere saying, stop there. Here comes some more Old Testament quotes. We're going to see a bunch of them, right? Comparing Jesus with angels again. This isn't a mistake. The point is, don't elevate the message from the uh, from angels over the message we get from Jesus. So then we move to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. He says, What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not see all things subjected to him. Point is, God made the angels and everything created to be subjected to Jesus Christ. But apparently, the Jews, guess who? What's, guess what they're not subjecting themselves to? They are not subjecting themselves to Jesus Christ. Verse 9, he says, But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of the death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Just if I can make a side note, I want to read something from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. And it says this, And according to the law, one, must, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood. Here it goes. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. What's the point I'm trying to say? Well, there's nothing you can do about your sins. It is not your confessing them. It is not begging God to forgive you. It is not repenting. It is not better performance. Your only, only hope for forgiveness of sins is Jesus. It's his blood on the cross for your sins and you making a decision to receive him. That's where it starts. That's where it stops. Anything in between is lifeless religion teaching, right? Some of the things they teach are okay to do. They're fine. But when we teach them as the means of salvation, not happening. We do not get saved by confessing over and over. Yeah, you do confess at one point in your life, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I I receive you. Save me. Rescue me. Yes, that confession is your salvation. After that, once you have received Jesus, there is no continual effort, right? You are rescued forever. Nothing can, can steal us from his hand. So listen, there are, I just want to point this out. There are thousands of reasons. I could go on and on and on. Thousands of reasons to confess sins and avoid sins. I'm not teaching differently. But what I am saying is that getting more forgiveness or getting forgiveness, that's not one of the reasons we do it. 
We do it because we're new, because we, we don't want to live our, our like our old lifestyles before we became believers and followers and child of, childs of God. We don't do it because we're trying to earn something. We do these things because it's who we are and we love God. But if you're trying to get right with God through this through this effort, if you're trying to like please God or or somehow get more forgiveness or more love by your words or your effort, you've missed the gospel message for sure. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 10 through 13 he says, "For it was fitting for him for whom all things and through whom all things are uh, in bringing many sons to glory, the perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, Behold, I and the children whom God has given me. What's going on here? First of all, who does the sanctifying? Did you read it? He who sanctifies. We don't sanctify ourselves. We're talking about spiritual sanctification. Now, there, there's two types of sanctification that we'll read about through the scriptures. There's us sanctifying our behavior. The word sanctified just means setting aside. It's us sanctifying our behavior. We absolutely should set our behavior aside as we live out our identities in Christ. But then there's spiritual sanctification, which sanctification, which the Bible always refers to as past tense, dumb. Never are we being spiritually sanctified. God has set us aside, and we didn't do it through our performance. God did it through what Jesus through Jesus' performance. We are fully spiritually sanctified, and you will not and cannot get more spiritually sanctified. Jesus, I love this, what we, what we take, took away from this is Jesus, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Not just those that sin less, we're referring to all believers. He's not ashamed to call any of us believers. God gave us to Jesus. I don't know if any of you guys have ever realized you're a gift. You are a gift from God to Jesus. Yeah, even when you're messing it up, not encouraging you to do that, but you're a gift and he loves us and he adores us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, 16, it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to the angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham, to the descendant of Abraham. Again, <clears throat> Jesus being compared to angels. And we already know who won that competition, right? He does not help angels. Angels help us. He helps us, descendants of Abraham's. And this is, again, spiritually speaking. Spiritually, we are all um, descendants of Abraham. Excuse me, let me have a sip of water. Mm. A lot of talking can wear you down. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore... 
He had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So what do we get from this? Jesus is merciful and he's faithful. (laughs) Big words right there too. You, tell me what the word propitiation means, folks, or Google it if you have to. I'll tell you what it means. Why And you verify it for yourself. It means to satisfy a deity. In other words, if Jesus is satisfied with respect to our sins, then how do we come up with these teachings like, you know, we're out of fellowship with God and we're distant? Like, if God is, listen, the wages of sin is death. Sin is awful. Sin is terrible. It kills. We should avoid sin. Jesus died. Jesus paid the penalty. Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. God is, and I know this offends the religious ego, God is 100% satisfied with the payment. No payment, no punishment, no more anger remains for God against his children. Sin has been dealt with. Now, does God disciple us? Some people call it discipline, but discipline ultimately uh, in the scriptures is referring to discipling us in the New Testament. He's growing us. He's not um, punishing us for our current sins. He's, I'm sorry, punishing us for past sins. He is discipling us. He's growing us and counseling us uh, to grow from those sins, to, to perform better. So there is no punishment. The scriptures tell us there's no punishment for the one who believes. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 goes on then to say, For since he himself was tempted, and that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Thank God. Take away. What do we get out of this, folks? Chapter 2. Well, we know that Jesus is greater than angels. We saw that also in chapter 1. So it's the old covenant or the new covenant, you decide. Which one are you really grabbing onto? Because you're not supposed to be grabbing onto both. Some say total forgiveness. Well, they'll call that a license to sin. But Jesus is more than a priest. He's our counselor that lives in us. And he helps us when we are tempted. And we need to trust him and believe that. And when we get into chapter 3... We're going to see a new comparison, right? We've been talking about Jesus and angels. We're going to be seeing something about Jesus and Moses. Well, what is Moses known for? Well, Moses is known for the old covenant, right? He brought the old covenant law in, right? So when we talk about Moses, we think about Mount Sinai, right? So let's keep that in mind. So I'm excited, folks, next week where we're really going to see this, I think, a little more clearly about the sin of unbelief, not Christians who better stop sinning or God's going to get you, uh, or we better be worried about losing salvation. We're going to see that we can absolutely, we can trust God, we can trust Jesus because God is good, and we're going to learn that this new covenant, it is our lifeline. We've been rescued, and God absolutely is good. God bless you. Look forward to you guys coming back and visiting us as we go over and discover the new the new things that God has revealed in chapter 3.